Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution returned to Foxborough this week for a critical matchup with playoff implications against the Philadelphia Union, but failed to come away with any points as the Union upset the Revs 3-2. The Revs set-piece woes continue as the Union benefited from two short corner kicks that resulted in goals in the first half, uh, and also a 76th-minute penalty kick after a Antonio Delamea handball, which turned out to be the game winner. Um, With the loss, Philadelphia jumps the Revolution for sixth place in the Eastern Conference standings, and the Revolution drop down out of playoff positioning. Uh, The Revolution do have two games in hand on the Montreal Impact, who are currently in fifth place, but overall a, a backbreaking loss for the Revolution in their playoff hopes. Uh, the Revolution are now 2-5-5 five, and five in their last 12 matches, uh, and a hat tip for Frank the Lapa, who uh, gave us that stat on Twitter today. Uh, but overall, the Revolution have seven wins total on the season, only four wins when the opposing team does not have a red card. Uh, really not a good summer so far for the New England Revolution, and their woes continue on uh, last night. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. I'm filling in for Sean Donahue, who you, Sean Donahue, who was away for the weekend, uh, and joining me tonight, making his Revolution recap debut, and what an amazing week to have that debut is uh, Seth McCumber of the Bent Musket. Seth, how's it going? Hey, I'm so happy to be here. I've been begging Sean to be on the show. Uh, it turns out he had to go away in order for me to get on the show, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, but you know, all kidding aside, I'm happy to be here. You guys do a great job with everything. Um, I have one request, though, if you don't mind. Uh, can I call you Hank? I mean, I'm an old school guy. I remember like the midnight ride. I was on the show all the time, and it made me feel a little bit more comfortable if I could call you Hank as opposed to Greg. Hey, you know what? Uh, I, I kind of got you on the show last minute, so you can call me whatever you want. I mean, I, you, you're giving me a favor. If that's your, your favor back, I'm more than happy to be Hank tonight. So, uh, no, that, that's okay with me. Uh, and, and actually, it's uh, really good to have you on this week, too, because I know you had a couple pieces this week. Uh, you're, you're at the game yesterday, so you, had, you got some perspective in the locker room after the game. And you also have uh, a good scouting report this week on the Bent Musket about uh, uh, Michael Mancien, uh, the newest Revolution player. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, overall, there's a, a lot to unpack about uh, last night's game, which I want to go over first. Uh, I'm curious, what was your main takeaway from uh, last night's loss? I was really impressed by the Philadelphia Union and how they set up their game plan. Uh, They know that the Revs want to high press and kind of hit them on that counter. So uh, Philadelphia really did well at uh, putting the bodies behind the ball and being patient, being really hard to break down. So when I was watching the the Revs play, you saw a lot of uh, sideways passes and back passes, and they would really struggle to find that killer pass to get in behind that back line. Uh, You did see it happen, obviously, a lot in the second half. But in the first half, there really wasn't a lot to make of it. Um, I saw, I made some notes here. Uh, One of the plays that we saw was Bunbury kind of drop back into the midfield on the left-hand side, play a long ball across to the right-hand side in the opening 15 minutes to Farrell. Farrell unable to convert in that moment. Uh, later on, like towards the end of the half, Bai had a really great through ball to Fagundes. But besides that, we really didn't see those killer balls in behind. We really didn't see them disrupt that back line a lot. Uh, we did see a lot of shots. I mean, we saw a, a lot of you know uh, attempts at goal. Many of them didn't hit the net or many of them were uh, on target. Um, so that really shows me that Philadelphia knew the game plan. They knew how to frustrate the revolution. Um, and more than that, they knew how to play out of the press. I was really impressed by how well... 
uh, Philadelphia's were setting themselves up into triangles, and they were passing, you know, around one or two players, you know, getting their that man advantage. So, you know, playing a three v two or a two v one, and kind of passing and frustrating the refs, kind of exhausting them to get out of that pressure and then get uh, a little bit more forward. So, because of that, you saw the refs play a little bit more long balls, a little bit more of the you know side to side balls, uh, and, and you know have a little bit of frustration, uh, especially in that first half. Yeah, and to, to build on to that point, too, uh, the Revolution had 26 shots yesterday, seven on target. Um, looking at their primary four attackers, Pania had five shots, one on target. Bunbury had five shots, four on target. He was really the only offensive player that had an accurate uh, night. Um, Diego had three shots, none on target. Agadello had three shots, none on target. Um, the Revolution were unable to get a um, shot off within the six-yard box. Um, so a lot, a lot of those shots were long-range shots that were being blocked or going over the bar. Um, and you're absolutely right. It just seemed like Philadelphia didn't give them anything um, down low. I, I will also note, too, that it seemed like uh, on the fast break, there were a lot of missed connections between Pania and Agadello, especially when they were trying to um, kind of switch the sides of the field. Um, I noticed a couple times there were a few runs that were um, – you know, the Pania or Agadello were going straight ahead and the person that was passing them the ball kind of was a little bit behind because the Union were, as you say, kind of back and, and they were trying to kind of hit them behind uh, their spot and, and it ended up being an inaccurate pass. So uh, the revolution, you look at the stat line, 26 shots, but none of them were really quality. And the two goals that they did end up converting on was a deflected shot from Andrew Farrell um, and a set piece from uh, Wilfred Zahibo. So um, kind of a frustrating night for the uh, top four attackers on the Revolution. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and there was also that play where Fagunes gets to kind of the end line, gets a little bit more into the box. He cuts it back, and he's looking for Casado. And Casado is already pushing really far forward. So, again, those misconnections, they weren't really having a good time on the offense, uh, which is obviously going to be a, a problem because we know that they're not really great defensively. So if the offense isn't clicking, it's going to be a hard night for the Revolution, and we saw that defensively. And I'm going to get – you mentioned they're not great defensively, which I think is – Kind of a bit of an understatement. Um, I, I'm going to go to my takeaway, which is similar to last week's, which is that this team really needs to work on their set piece defending. Um, and, and we can get into uh, Antonio De La Mea, uh, what he told you after the game. I want to pull up the exact quote. Um, I just feel like we're a bunch of guys that don't take responsibility when it's necessary. I think today starts with me. I messed up. It's my fault that we lost the game. Oh, that's the wrong quote. Sorry, let me go back. While you find that real quick, I just want to jump in and just say, um, obviously, we talk to the players and the coach quite a bit about set pieces because that's the storyline right now. They're not doing well on set pieces. And I'll even pull back and say this is a long time. This has been a struggle for the revolution. Even before Frito came, this team could not defend crosses very well. So this is not anything that's necessarily new. Um, but we talked a lot about it in the post-game press conference. And uh, I asked, like, so, you know, Frito, what, what does it look like in practice? What are you guys doing? And he's like, you know what? We practice it. Guys know their assignments. We worked on it all week. All week they worked on on set pieces. And they talked about, um, you know, they know how to block runs. They know who they should be marking. They know how to hold their line. This is all the things they talked about in practice. And he said it's also a mentality thing, though. You can practice it all you want, but in a given day, uh, you might find yourself, you know, with a, a different – you know, situation playing out, the crowd's going, obviously, the noise is going to be different. And sometimes you just have to step up and be that guy to, to head the ball out or clear the ball or take care of the situation. Uh, and he says that that's kind of missing on this team right now. And he referenced John Terry, that, you know, John Terry in, in Chelsea, he's a guy who's going to win the ball no matter what. And the Revs don't necessarily have that type of player right now. 
Um, so, you know, the players, the coach, everyone kind of expressed this frustration that they are working really hard on this. They've worked on it all week, and to be undone by it is is absolutely frustration, uh, frustrating. Uh, and like you said, you have a, a quote from Antonio Delamea that really kind of highlights that. Yeah, and, I'll, and I also want to note, just because you're talking about Brad Friedel, um, I don't know if you heard his halftime interview, but uh, it, it was – Usually when they're lacking energy or there's dumb mistakes the Revolution make, Friedel seems a little on edge, a little angry. And it seemed like yesterday when he was doing his interview, you know, he, he mentioned, you know, we, we've gone over this hours and hours and hours. And it's gone from, it seemed like instead of being tense and angry, he, he's just shaking his head and he's kind of like, I, I don't know what else we need to do. Um, it seems like it's almost, he's almost defeated in that, you know, what's, the, their main flaw yesterday in the first half off of those two short corners and those set pieces, you know, there's missed assignments. Um, Paul Mariner highlighted the first one was uh, Caicedo was guarding two guys. And then on the second play, I think it was Caicedo and Fagundes were guarding three guys. So they were giving a wide open cross on both plays. Um, and, and Friedel just seems like, you know, we go over it over and over and over again. But when you come out here, just something goes wrong. And he, he doesn't know what if there's an easy fix to this. So, um, you know, th- that certainly was kind of telling on where they are as a team and how much of an issue it is and how much of a flaw it is right now. Uh, I'm going to pull up the correct Antonio De La Mea quote. Um, Our morale on defending set pieces is so low at the moment. We're thinking about how not to get scored on than who we should mark. Um, and that is a pretty telling quote. It's almost like the mentality of instead of going out there to win, you're going out there to not lose. It's almost like they're afraid of what's going to happen. It sounds like they have a lot of um, lacking confidence. And I mean, it just seems like such a demoralizing loss uh, yesterday because of the playoff implications, as I mentioned, but to do it again, where, you know, you, you put 90 minutes out and, and from open play, you're not too, too rusty, but you give up three goals off of short corners and a penalty kick. Um, man, what a backbreaker, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the telling part of that quote is he talks about how we're focusing on, you know, not getting scored on and, and not focusing on the little details of who is my man. And uh, I don't want to put, you know, words at all into Antonio Delamea's mouth. Like, this is not, you know, what he was saying per se. But when I heard that, I really thought of Wilfer Sahibo. I mean, if you look back at those two goals, he, he lost his man. You know, and you watch him, like the first goal, uh, it's just simple by Jack, uh, not, yeah, Jack Elliott, right? Yeah, Jack Elliott. Yes. I get him in uh, Simon Elliott because old school Revs fan, or old school, you know, MLS fan. So yeah, Jack Elliott, I mean, that's just foolish by, by Zahibo. He's staring at the ball. Jack Elliott makes a simple run in behind and he just flicks it. Nice little finish, by the way, by, by Jack Elliott, a defender who only had one goal going into this game and now has three career goals in two years. Um, you know, that, that's, that's just simple. And the second goal, it's not finishing the play and you actually can see uh, Zahibo actually go down on one knee. Like he realizes that that's his guy. He goes down on one knee and kind of watches the you know what has what has happened and what is you know the celebration that happens afterwards. So you know you look at that and think about you have to win your individual matchups. You know in a situation, especially on a set piece. You know anyone who played any level of soccer, you know that you have to be on your guy. You have to be battling. You have to make sure that they don't you know get an open header. They don't get an open. You know, look on goal. You have to make it tough for the, the team. So a player like player like Wilfred Zahibo, which I know, you know, listening to your podcast, uh, you guys have criticized quite a bit, and I have criticized in my writing. Um, he's someone that that really struggled to make sure that he's winning his battles, and that's going to hurt the Revolution. And it's very frustrating too because I think yesterday staying on Wilfred Zahibo. I think we saw some of the best of Zahibo yesterday. Um, he, he missed a header on a corner, which was a great scoring opportunity for the Revolution. He had, he had a, a good chance, and he missed it high. I, I'm not going to 
give him points for that one. But uh, he, he did score a very nice header. The second Revolution goal was a very nice header. Zahibo with his uh, the second goal of the game for the Revolution. Uh, it was a really nice run, and they seemed to use him as an offensive threat on set pieces. So, uh, and, and also, he had 77% pack accu- pass accuracy, which doesn't sound amazing, but 14 of his 44 passes were long balls. He was 6 for 14. Um, he obviously is a, a decent passer, but you're right. Uh, he he kind of some, has some lapses of concentration uh, on set pieces. Uh, I know we've talked on Twitter a couple times before about how sometimes he just does not track back, and he leaves some more open space than you want if you're the Revolution, and, and guys can cut through uh, and take advantage of that open space. Um, you know, for a de- defensive midfielder, I think you need a little bit more uh, of, of an effort uh, in terms of defending overall. I, I think he's kind of the last line there, and he's supposed to be there to help an already weakened defense. Um, and it, it's really upsetting to see the potential of what he can give you on offense, and then he still has these massive flaws on defense that get exposed time and time again. Yeah, and I think that's the, the thing with Wilfred Hizahibo. You can see that he has some talent, um, but if you're making large mistakes that are going to hurt the team, then he's someone that maybe doesn't belong on the field anymore. Uh, I thought the week before when they really sat him like right in front of the back line, he wasn't really pushing forward. He actually did better in that kind of simplified role, but then you also have those lapses, and, and you know, you can't take a playoff in professional soccer. So you, you can have, you know, you can look back at the Montreal game as another example. I mean, he has a great job scoring some goals there, but really, like, that ends up being a loss. And, and there are times throughout the season where his, you can look back at a goal and say, it's on Zahibo. And that's not good. If you're letting up a goal, two goals, wherever it is, you can directly point to a player, then maybe he's someone that doesn't necessarily belong uh, in the starting lineup anymore. Yeah, and, and, I've made it known on this podcast. I'm very pro Scott Caldwell. I think Scott Caldwell should be in the game. I, I love the Caldwell and Caicedo pairing. Um, I, I don't. I, I see the potential in Zahibo, MLS All Star, uh, but <laughs> it, you know, time and time again, it's just getting more and more frustrating. Um, I, I want to transition too to another player who's been a little bit uh, more and more frustrating, and we, we've already kind of talked about him a little bit. Um, you know, with his quotes about uh, set pieces, but um, kind of the blunder of the game, I think, is Antonio De La Mena's handball. Um, really unnecessary to have that <laughs> that arm that high uh, in that spot. And the cross that came in well, to set the stage, in case you did not see it, 76th minute, um, there was a cross uh, over the box uh, on the far post of uh, Matt Turner's net. And Antonio De La Mea had the guy covered, it seemed like. Um, and he didn't look like he was going to win the header, but he stuck his left arm up in the air and uh, got a good chunk of the ball. And that led to a yellow card and a penalty kick for the Union, which turned out to be the game-winning goal. Um, he took full responsibility after the game. Um, really unfortunate to see because I, I personally really like Tony De La Mea. Um, I think it was, you know, he, he answered questions and seemed to take responsibility, and that's what you kind of want to see. But he's really had a bit of a downfall compared to what we saw last season. Um, and the other thing I'll note, too, is that if you go back and watch the 13th minute of the game, really the first scoring opportunity for the Union, um, there was a cross. Uh, I forget who had the header, um, but it, it was ricocheted off the post. Um, and that, that was De La Maya's man. The person that got the header, uh, was De La Maya's man. He kind of got ball watching kind of like we talked about with Sahibo, um, and gave up a wide open header, which should have been a goal for the union. So he, he really had a poor performance last night, probably one of his worst performances of the season. Um, something with him against the union. I don't know. Uh, first game <laughs> of the season got red carded this game, uh, seemed to blow the game for the revolution. Um, do you think his standing in the lineup is you know, in jeopardy, uh, certainly with Michael Bencien coming in. Do you think he's the guy that's going to be going to the bench? And did you have any other thoughts about his performance last night that are, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm quite concerned about it. What did you think? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, Delamaya ended up being kind of the story of the night in some ways, just because, largely because I, I talked to him afterwards, and, and you can't imagine a more honest and sincere and, you know, caring and passionate individual. I mean, uh, you saw after he, he had that handball, you saw him punt that ball as far as he could because he's frustrated. And, and I, you know, actually asked him after the, the game in the locker room, I said, you know, I, I've seen you at practice and you're someone that even in practice, your team lets up a goal and you are beyond frustrated. It might not even be your fault, but your team has let up a goal in a small side uh, game and you have that passion. Uh, where does that come from? Like, what, where is that really, you know, like, wh where is that kind of yeah, that, that excitement almost, but also this, this frustration, this passion, where does it come from? And he basically said that um, he thinks that if you do something wrong, you should be t taking blame. You know, he believes that you have to look at yourself and say, I messed up there. Or we messed up there. It's not just a, ah, we'll get a next time type of mentality. It has to be this mentality of, okay, I made the mistake. I'll own it. Now I have to work harder. Now I have to get it back. And, and you really saw that. I mean, like I said, he punted the ball at the field after the game. You, you hopefully read the, the quotes that uh, were on the Ben Musket, the article that we wrote. And he basically said, I'm sorry. There's nothing else I can say. I made a mistake. Um, this game is on me. Uh, I have to go to, to work and I have to work a little bit harder. So you can see he's such a passionate guy and he's someone that, um, you know, really wants to do well for this club and is really disappointing himself in that moment. You know, after the game, Brad Friedel was asked about the handball and he said, you know, it's foolish. He said, there's no excuse for that at all. Mark your man, head the ball away. You're a central defender. And he really kind of put it out there that he was disappointed at what he saw in that moment. And, and Antonio Delamea is not going to disagree with him. So for your second question there, um, is his place, you know, possibly going to be up for grabs now? Absolutely. I mean, think about Claude Dielna. This guy was the captain going into this uh, season. He was your starting center back. He moved to be possibly your starting left back. And now the guy's not even in the 18. I mean, this is a designated player who's not even dressing on game day. Um, and I asked, like, this is the last question of the press conference. I said, what's the deal? What's the status of Claude Dielna? And Coach Friedel said, he's another player who works hard to get a spot in the 18. So really, there's no one that's safe at this point. Um, you know, Mancian's coming in. You've got to imagine he, he's going to be someone that is going to be fighting for a starting spot. You've got to imagine that he will probably get a look uh, pretty early on, considering this team's defensive woes. Um, I originally thought that we were going to see Anibaba being the guy that kind of moves to the bench. He's a journeyman. He's done a nice job, up to, you know, throughout this year, uh, you know, playing a, a pretty significant role in this team. But he's also a guy who's made some pretty big blunders. But if you look back in, in especially this past game, you know, Delamea was someone who probably made more mistakes. Uh, so, yeah, I think that the competition is going to be fierce. Um, you know, Frito always talks about that you win your spot in, in practice. Uh, I talked to Kellen Rowe after the game. He said the same thing. Like, hey, I wasn't the 18 this week. This week I was brought in to, as the first guy uh, that comes in to, to be that spark off the bench in the 80th minute. Uh, so, yeah, practice is definitely going to be really intense uh, as Mancini comes in and starts to integrate himself with the team. And two more two more bits of info I want to pass on, just because you touched on uh, Annie Baba and Rowe. Um, uh, Annie Baba, a lot of people are. It seems it seems interesting with Mancian coming in. Um, is Annie Baba the guy going to the bench or De La Maya going to the bench? Uh, I, I'm Team De La Maya going to the bench. I know Sean is last week said he was Team Annie Baba going to the bench. Uh, I just want to further strengthen my point. I think Annie Baba had a really really good 
game uh, last night, having some uh, good service to Christian Pena uh, specifically. Uh, Anibaba had uh, 18 long passes yesterday. Ten of them were completed, or, or accurate, I should say. He had a 77% pass accuracy. So I think that the Revolution really value his um, distribution from the back. Um, and, and that's something we saw Claude Dielna kind of do. He had kind of a long leg, and they used him kind of as a passer for uh, deep balls. And I, and I think Anibaba has kind of stepped in with Claude Dielna being relegated to the bench. Um, another thing, too, I want to point out is Kellen Rowe only had 10 minutes yesterday, but he still had two key passes. Um, and I, I know he we haven't seen much of him lately, but uh, he does seem to be uh, quite a spark off of the bench. Um, uh, as I said, not in the starting 18, or sorry, not starting 18, not in the 18 last week, um, but he was uh, moved up this week and Somi was dropped. And that leads to my next question, which I, I think is a real head scratcher. I know with the result, not a lot of people are talking about it today, um, but the lineup changes. There were only two from last week. Caldwell moved to the bench. Teal moved back to striker and in the starting lineup. And as I say, Rowe was moved to the 18 while Somi was dropped. Um, that, that seemed to be a real flaw because there were no natural defenders on the bench. Um, the six outfield players yesterday were Machado, Rowe, Caldwell, Harryvo, uh, Wright, and Femi. So no Somi, no, no Dielna. Um, I'm not totally sure what would have happened in the event of a defender going down or being red carded. I guess Machado would be the guy that would come in. We've been told he can play all along the back line. Uh, maybe Rowe would be come in as a wing back if needed. But um, what are your thoughts on those lineup changes? To me, that's a real head scratcher. And I know Friedel kind of plays this game where your spots are earned in tra- in training. But um, doesn't this bench seem very absurd to you in terms of, I mean, in what world is Femi coming in? You know what I mean? Um, did you have any thoughts on this? Were you, were you questioning this as well? Yeah. I mean, this is not anything I would brought up in the press conference or anything like that. Cause it definitely is a worthwhile question to ask. Uh, Brad Friedel. I mean, we obviously know that he talks about, you know, you win your spot during during practice. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting bench that we see there. Um, to have no natural defenders, you seem like you're really handcuffing yourself. Um, I mean, we saw Brian Wright come on late, which is kind of interesting that we've only seen him a few times this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the, you, the other interesting thing here is that you only end up using two subs. You use, you know, you bring on Rowe, with 11 minutes left to play, you bring on uh, right, like basically in the dying moments of the game. So you don't even use three of your subs. So you would imagine that if you're going to, uh, you know, put a lot of attackers, a lot of guys that are more, you know, in the midfield or the, or the forward, you use more of them. You use all three of your subs to kind of get something going. So in this situation, it really, to me, doesn't make any sense why you don't have any defenders on the bench. Because if you do have an injury, then all of a sudden you're kind of putting people in unnatural positions and really trying to maybe, you know, uh, throw a wrench in what's going on with the game plan. I mean, if you, you you can use Roe at left back, obviously. We don't really know what we've seen in Machado. We saw, you know, five minutes last week. Uh, didn't really do much, but obviously you can't judge him, you know, in that five-minute cameo against Orlando. So, yeah, it really, to me, doesn't make any sense why you don't have any defenders. And then to the other point, why you don't end up using three subs um, to try to really get that offensive spark. Yeah, and, and you kind of were leading to where I wanted to go next, which is that Friedel for the second straight game used two subs. Um, both of these subs were after 80 minutes. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that speaks to Friedel's approach, if that's how he um, feels that he, he wants to put his best 11 out there to start the game and he wants to play them the majority of the time, or if that speaks to his lack of confidence in bench players. But either way, I, I'm not totally – I don't agree with that strategy. I, I feel like um, – 
I mean, this game, certainly, I don't, I don't think you can blame it on the substitution pattern. I think De La Maya's, uh handball was what did it in. And even before that, the Revolution were still um, getting the ball in the box, and they were still getting some chances. Uh, I think right before that was the... Um, or no, it came right after the row corner kick to Pania. That was a great save by Andre Blake at the near post. Um, but they're still they're still getting their chances before uh, that first substitution in the 80th minute and before um, De La Maya's, uh 76th uh, uh, handball, I should say. So, um, and I want to point out, uh, you had a really really good stat today. Uh, the Revs are 0-1 and 4 when using two or less subs, and 7-6 and 4 when using three subs. So um, the one major criticism I have of Friedel is um, not using the substitutes. But again, that might just be that he really doesn't think that highly of his bench and, and the revolution need reinforcements. Yeah, so actually that stat's even worse now because the Reds are now 0-2-4 oh. when using two, two or less subs because that was uh, tweeted right after Roe came into the game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's puzzling to me why you don't use more of your subs, uh, especially a guy like Caldwell to kind of hold possession, maybe in a different game. Like you said, I'm not sure if another sub changes this game per se because the, the mistake happened with, uh, you know, with Delamea. That's kind of a freak thing. that has nothing to do with the sub patterns. But there have been games. I mean, Orlando's a, a good example of it. Why not bring on a player that can kind of see the game out a little bit more and hold possession a little bit more? And, and I mean, I guess Machado was supposed to be that guy, but he's also a guy who's coming into a brand new team. You know, he comes in without five minutes. That's a hard place to make your debut on the road, trying to see out a game. Um, that's a difficult thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why he wants to keep his guys out there. I mean, we know these guys are fit. Um, maybe in the summer it's a little bit more difficult to keep that fitness up, especially if they're high-pressing all throughout the game, no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, things are going well. You kind of want to keep those guys on there and maybe not disrupt things. But at the same time, for me, I'd rather make a change and get fresh legs out there, get some energy out there, get guys that are chomping at the bit to try to make an impression, to try to get into that starting lineup. Because practice is great, but we all know that games are a little bit different. So if you're a guy that's on the outside looking in and you go out there and see the game out, you go out there and make an assist, you go out there and just make a big play, that's going to make you, you know, uh, like rise a little bit in the depth chart. You know, so to me, it's a little puzzling why he's, you know, and this hasn't been all season. I went back and looked and he's made halftime subs. He's made 60th minute subs. He's made all types of subs. Obviously, he's made three subs. But we've seen this kind of pattern recently where he, he isn't necessarily using all of his subs. And I think that's really hurting the team. I think you want to have uh, a bench that can come in and help at any moment. Like we just discussed, this is kind of a weak bench when you look at it. You know, like we're obviously, we're, you know, I'm also high on Caldwell. I'd like to see him play a little bit more. I'd like to see him start. I'd like to see possibly him going in over Zahibo. Uh, Machado, we don't really know much about yet. Uh, so it's kind of hard to rate him. Rose, a guy that can obviously do a job. Haravo, I mean, there, there's potential there, but I haven't seen a lot from him. I mean, we, we, we saw a little bit of him this season. I wasn't overly impressed. I'm not sure if he's the type of guy that comes into a game and, and changes it for the for the good, whether it's to hold possession or score a goal or whatever it might be. Right is a, is a ball of energy. You know, he goes out there, he definitely fights for the ball, and, and he's going to do his best to kind of high press and create, try to create something. But I'm not sure if he's a guy that's definitely going to get you a goal. And the same thing could be said for Femi. Um, you know, he's... You know, he hasn't really seen a lot of minutes since his rookie year. So when you look at that bench, maybe there is a lack of confidence in, in what he has there. And then you think about Christian Nemeth. This is a guy who, who wasn't seeing a lot of time, that was getting a lot of money, but he was a guy who was a known, you know, quality player. You know, so maybe, he, maybe you know, trading him away this season, if you're not going to bring in somebody else, was a little bit of a mistake. Or if you look at that bench and think about, okay, 
Um, maybe we want a Somi in there or a Quadiana in there to to provide some width late in the game to you know send in some crosses, um, even if it's just a 10, 15 minute type of thing. You know, so you gotta wonder what he's thinking about with that bench, um, and and if he doesn't necessarily have a ton of confidence in the guys that he's he's leaving on there. Yeah, and and someone messaged us last night with Teal Benbury on the bench. They said, you know, in what world is Brian Wright coming into this game? And I, and I look at these six players on the bench, and as you you went through them a second ago, you know, Rowe is a quality player, Caldwell's a quality player. They just acquired Machado, and they seem to be high on him. Um, you know, Sean and I talked last week that we can't imagine him playing left back, right back, center back. He seems to be a defensive midfielder from everything that we've looked up. Um, but then you also have Wright and Femi, and it just kind of seems redundant. And, you know, if you have a center back that goes down, if De La Maya goes down with an injury early in the first half, you know, are, are you putting Machado in at center back? Are you moving in Farrell from right back to center back? Uh, it just seems like Femi is kind of a waste of a player there. And you wonder if a message is being sent, or if there's something happening behind the scenes that we don't see. I, I, I think Brad Friedel again confirmed there were no injuries this week. So it was a manager's decision not to put Somi and not to put Claude Yelna um, on, on the bench. So um, really, really a head scratcher all the way around uh, for me. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, and, and I want to move on to uh, another position of, well, that's being questioned a little bit too by the fans this week. Uh, and actually, we got a uh, Twitter question this week uh, that uh, Matt Turner, who started off the season in really great uh, potential MLS all-star. We're a very pro-Matt Turner podcast, as you know, Seth. Um, they, they sent us the question of maybe a change in goal is needed. And that's a fair question to ask when seven of your last eight goal, eight games you've played, you've conceded two or more goals. Um, another three goals conceded yesterday after three goals conceded yesterday. Um, what we, Me and Sean kind of touched on this a little bit last week. Uh, what do you think? Do you think it might be time to turn to Knighton or Cropper, or do you think Matt Turner should uh, stay in goal for the time being? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fair question because uh, you look back at the last two games in particular, and, and he hasn't been as sharp as he has been. That having been said... I mean, you know, early in the season, the guy was lights out. I mean, this is a guy that people are talking about U.S. men's national team, talking about as an all-star pick. I mean, what he was doing was just outstanding. So to compare that to this, there's always going to be a drop-off. I mean, there was no way for him to sustain that level. You know, he was saving PKs. He was making these just insane uh, saves that you're not going to be able to sustain. Like, you're going to have mistakes. You're going to have letdowns. Those things are going to happen. I mean... Uh, it's a little bit of a different situation, obviously, but you look at like a, a Tim Howard now. I mean, he was obviously a great player, but he's now making blunders week after week. And his has more to do with age. Uh, but every goalkeeper makes mistakes. They're going to happen. So you look at a guy like Matt Turner, who's in his really first season as a professional, even though he played um, – you know, a little bit with the Richmond Kickers, which obviously was a really positive thing for him. He talked about how it prepared him to, you know, make the transition to MLS. But he's going to have highs and lows. Uh, with that in mind, I think you stick with him. I mean, I'm a big fan of consistency along the back line, uh, whether along with the goalkeeper. Um, it's that familiarity. They can talk with each other. They can grow with each other. I think the back line is going to see changes with Mancian. So I think that in mind, you keep Matt Turner in there, uh, particularly because, you know, Cody Cropper didn't necessarily – impress all throughout last season you know like he he really had a hard time throughout the season he had some good moments but he has a hard time and he's right now sitting as a number third goalkeeper so i imagine that he's not necessarily the guy who would step in for matt turner so if you take matt turner out you're looking at brad knight who i have been a really big fan of i think he's really steady uh, i don't think he's necessarily you know got a extended run as the number one goalkeeper even when he moved to other places um so I wouldn't mind seeing him. I think he's steady enough. But I think when you have Matt Turner as a guy who who has so much potential and it showed it already, like Cody Cropper to me never really showed the same level of potential 
that Matt Turner showed earlier this season. So I think you stick with him. And I think that the it'd be really devastating to a young player like him to pull him out right now after two bad performances and maybe potentially stunt that growth. You know, I think that you, you work with him, you talk with him, you know, having, I didn't talk to him after last game, but I have talked to him in the past. And he really said, here are my goals. Like, here are the things I'm working on. And, and he's really humble. He said, you know what? I want to be an all-star. I want to be a U.S. men's national team player, but I'm not there yet. So I know I have to work on things. I have to work on crosses. I have to work on this distribution. And he said, I've, I've gotten better, but there's still that growth to happen. So I think that you have a guy who's so eager and so humble and so much potential there. You have to keep him in goal and kind of continue to ride him out. If, Three or four games from now, we're still seeing that we're, we're leaking goals and, and you can point to some of them and say, OK, that's on Matt Turner. Fine. Make the change. Give, I imagine, Brad Knight in the opportunity. Or if you want to go to Cody Cropper as the young guy, fair enough. Um, I, I think that's totally fair. I don't think you have to ride Matt Turner for the rest of the season. But I think to look at two performances and say, OK, that's on Matt Turner isn't necessarily fair, partly because there are breakdowns in that back line. I mean, it's not like he he's... Every single one of these you can look at and say, okay, that's totally Matt Turner. Could he do better on some of them? Sure. Especially last week. I thought there was some of those, uh, especially that last goal in particular, he could have done a better job on it. Um, but as a whole, this is a guy with a lot of potential, and, and it's, it's not just him that are making the mistakes. There's other areas that you could potentially address, especially with Mancian coming in. Uh, you can kind of make some changes, and hopefully that will prevent uh, some of these goals from happening. You can continue to build up the legacy that is Matt Turner. Yeah, and I, I agree completely. I'm just going to kind of reiterate what I said last week, and, and I don't want to repeat everything that you just said. But I, I think if you you go to Knighton, you're really pushing forward for a playoff spot this year. And I don't know if Matt Knighton is an upgrade, or I'm sorry, Brad Knighton, if he's an upgrade over Matt Turner at this point. Uh, I think overall what we've seen from Matt Turner is he's a very good goalkeeper. I think his floor at, at this point is an average MLS keeper. But uh, if you look at his stats, uh, I pulled up his expected goals against uh, that's 38.4 as of last week, uh, April 6th. Uh, and he had given up 33 goals to that point. So uh, he actually was fourth in the MLS in uh, goals against to expected goals against difference. Um, he's behind uh, Stephen Fry, uh, uh, Rowe and Ramondo, which are, three great names among MLS goalies. So uh, overall, he, he's given you a really, really good season so far. I know he hasn't had the best games uh, the past couple of weeks, and and I, I know some people criticized his performance yesterday. I don't think any of the goals were necessarily his fault. Maybe the first one he could have saved, but I, I don't think you can really blame him for not stopping a penalty kick. Uh, and I think the second one was just a really, really unlucky bounce where um, you know he's diving for a post, uh, diving for a shot at the far post, um, and it kind of ricochets back and hits him in the back. You know, he had he had no way to clear that ball himself. So um, I, I don't have any issues with Matt Turner. Obviously, I'm a big Matt Turner fan, um, and and. Again, I think you're absolutely right in that you want to see Matt Turner grow as a goalkeeper because I think this is your goalkeeper of the future. I don't think you're looking for another goalkeeper going forward unless his play just totally decreases um, from this point forward. And so uh, and then one more uh, performance I wanted to kind of quickly touch upon, uh, but that was uh, the captain. Andrew Farrell had a great game yesterday. We, me and Sean talked about, um, you know, he had, he had a bit of an off game last week, um, but seemed to have a really, really good game overall. Uh, he... Took actually three shots yesterday. One of them scored off of that deflection. Um, I don't think it was going in. It looked like it was going high, but got a little bit lucky. Second career goal. Uh, also had a key pass. Uh, seemed to push up a little bit more and get involved in the offense after kind of staying back last week uh, on the road against Orlando. Um, led the team with 76 touches and then had two tackles, two clearances, one interception, a block shot. 
Um, overall, I, I was pretty impressed with Andrew Farrell, and I, I thought he did a good job uh, after last week kind of having a bit of a down week. Um, any thoughts on Andrew Farrell this week? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously he scored the goal, but do you see anything else from uh, that goes beyond that stats? Yeah, I mean, obviously the goal is amazing. You see the passion that comes from that, that player. Uh, I think that's why he's wearing the captain's armband. He, he's a passionate guy. He loves the revolution. He loves to play. You can see the celebration afterwards, how much it means to him to score two goals in one season after going so long without scoring a goal. Uh, he's frustrated, of course, after the game. I mean, it's, it's really hard uh, to, to stand in front of the media and, and realize that you had a great game, uh, but your team still gave up three goals and you end up losing. So you kind of feel bad for him in that sense. And, and I thought one quote that was interesting, I'm not sure if he's going to make it into any articles, but basically he said that uh, you guys are frustrated, but we're way more frustrated. We feel you guys. Like you, the fans realize that this is a hard time. This is another summer swoon type of thing. And and we're just trying to fight through it. We're going to try to get through this. And we, we believe that we can get through it. Uh, so definitely some frustration from him. I'm going to throw a question at you because uh, I thought it was interesting that, especially because you saw uh, Philadelphia sit in a little bit more. Therefore, those kind of wide players are able to get a little bit more crosses off. I was wondering, uh, and of course, it kind of becomes a moot point a bit because Andrew Farrell does score. But even when he, you know, the other times that he was shooting and crossing, and you guys have talked about it on the podcast before, he's not necessarily really accurate there. Uh, there's actually another opportunity after he scored the goal where he basically has a wide open shot and he just he nails that thing right into the fort. You know? Right it's through the goal post. The goal. Yeah, he skies that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's pretty wide open. There's not a lot of threat there. So I was wondering, I tweeted this out a couple times. In a situation like that where you're getting a lot of opportunities from wide areas, would you like to see Brandon By play right back and Andrew Farrell play left back? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I'm trying to rack my mind to think how well Andrew Farrell, I think he's played left back a handful of times. I don't remember exactly how well he played. Um, I'm not totally, imp- I mean, I think Brandon By has a lot of potential, but when he was playing right back and when he was getting up the wing, not a lot of his crosses were successful. Um, I don't think Andrew Farrell is the, the best passer or for that matter, the best shooter, but I think it might just be a matter of comfort where Brandon By is, I'm uh, kind of adjusting to right back, left back in general uh, since this is his first season in the league, whereas Andrew Farrell is more of a constant player. Um, but I, I do agree with your overall worry, which is that Andrew Farrell is not really that great of an offensive player. He's made great strides, which we've talked about before. Um, but Brian has the joke that Andrew Farrell should not be past the halfway line uh, or, or midfield. Um, although I don't know. I don't think he makes that joke anymore. He made those jokes last season. I, I think he's kind of come around to um, Andrew Farrell being a little bit better offensively than uh, last year. But um, yeah, it, it's certainly a good thought to have. And I think that next year, Brandon by will be the right back. I think if you um, give him another, he looks like he's going to be the left back for the remainder of the season. I'll say that with Somi and Diana, not even in the 18. Um, but I, I think maybe getting uh, another preseason under his belt. Um, I, I anticipate him being the right back next year for that reason that you're pointing out, which is that uh, Brandon by is more of an offensive threat shooting and passing wise. And, uh, I think it'll click a little bit more with the revolution revolution next season. But for the time being, Andrew Farrell is there and I think they kind of trust his stability. uh, And I think they trust him a little bit more defensively to play right back. And I think, as I say, I think it's just a comfort thing where they don't want to move Andrew Farrell out of position and have Brandon by kind of be inexperienced at right back. That's, that's my general impression of why they don't do it that way. Yeah. And I think that makes sense, especially, I mean, it's like the curse of uh, the commentator where I tweet that out and Andrew Farrell scores a goal. Like you said, it's not necessarily, 
the greatest goal because there's a deflection there. Um, but I was curious because we saw Brandon Bay in preseason score a goal. We saw some of his crosses. Um, so, I mean, obviously at this point, you you keep Andrew Farrell where he feels comfortable. You you allow uh, Brandon Bride to fill a role that nobody else can really take on. And he's done a, a decent enough job. I mean, he he ha- he's a rookie. He has some moments where, where things don't work out. He's not always as close as he should be to the person that he's defending and he's allowing some crosses or whatever happen. Uh, but he's done a decent job. I mean, considering the money that he's on, considering that he is a rookie, um, he's taken over that that left back spot and done a better job than Somi, especially with one-on-one defending, and a better job than uh, Claude Dielna, who can be a little bit, you know, wander a little bit. He can kind of lose his marks a little bit. Uh, so I think that you're right. At this point, you keep uh, Farrell where he feels comfortable and you keep by at a place that he can kind of develop a little bit more. But it'd be interesting to see going forward that if by ends up being an MLS starter and, and challenging for that right back spot, because I do think the Revs need to get more out of their wide areas. Uh, I think that especially if a team sits in. The other game I was thinking about last night is I was thinking about that Seattle Sounders game where the Revs, it was a boring, boring game. And the reason why it was so boring is because Seattle said, we want a point. We don't want to play today. And if you get a guy who can you know, hit crosses accurately from wide spaces and then you have guys who can win those balls in the middle of the, in the box, you're going to pull – you're going to create a little bit more chaos and possibly get that goal. Um, so right now, you know, Andrew Farrell scores a goal. He's had, you know, some decent assists this season, um, but still not on the left and the right side, still not enough from the wide areas as far as what I think. And, and you can see Brett Friel wants those uh, outside backs to play wide and to cross the ball in. Uh, and you, you certainly can see that theory too with Somi coming in. That was supposed to be what he was going to come bring to the revolution offense. He didn't necessarily work out and they're kind of playing a little bit shorthanded. Um, let me ask you another question, uh, Seth, while we're, we're talking about Brandon by, uh, do you think Brandon by has been rated performance the past two weeks as left back him, him going over there, kind of filling that role. Uh, do you feel confident with him playing left back for the rest of the season? Or do you kind of see that as a bit of a liability? Uh, and I, I will note too, before you, uh, answer that question. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that 50% of the possession uh, from Philadelphia was down that right side. And if you look at the heat map on, on whoscored.com uh, of Philadelphia yesterday, you can clearly see they were attacking down that right side and they were trying to go right at Brandon by. So um, what's your thoughts on Brandon by at left back so far? Yeah. I mean, the spots is right now. I mean, I, I, I didn't think Somi was great. Um, I, I really don't have much of an interest to see Somi. Uh, play left back for the rest of the season. Claudiana, I mean, if he can kind of get into the great, good graces and, and and work his way back in the lineup, I wouldn't mind seeing him again. Um, he he was m- missing his marks. He wasn't necessarily doing a good draw, job on crosses. Um, but you're paying a guy a lot of money, and we saw some good moments from him, largely at center back. But I wouldn't mind him getting another look there. Uh, Kellen Rowe is a guy that, honestly, I think probably should be there. I mean, you look at a guy who wasn't even making the 18 – that only played 11 minutes last night. This is a guy that was on the national team this past summer, and he's not even in the 18. I mean, if you've got a, a weakness and you know that he can play left back, it's not his preferred position. It's not his best position. Um, but it is a, a position that he can play. It is a position of need for the revolution. So I really wouldn't mind seeing him there. Uh, obviously, it doesn't seem like we're going to see him there. So Brandon By to me, has locked down that spot. Um, how has he been? Fine. I mean, he's done the job. He's making some mistakes. He's, he's doing some good things, though, as well. I mean, he had a nice attacking moment where he got to the end line and played it back, and it almost led to a goal. And, you know, he kind of said he was a little bit surprised that it didn't lead to a goal. And, and, you know, fair enough. Like, that's when you get to the end line and you cut it back, you kind of hope that someone can, you know, blast it into the back of the net. Um, I think that, like, what you mentioned 
just a moment ago, I think that you're going to see teams start to tar uh, target him. You know, like very much like in the beginning of the season where the Revs were using that high press to really go at uh, teams and they're finding a lot of success in it. Now teams have seen the footage and figured out how to play against that high press, where to find the revolution weaknesses. I think that as there is more tape on Brandon By, people are going to exploit him a little bit more. And it's just up to him to kind of step up his game and continue to work hard. He did mention post-game that Jaleel Anibaba has been a really good uh, resource for him. They talk a lot, and then he talks about positioning and where to be and, and how to get better as a player. So I think Brandon By is a guy who will get better uh, but he just has to be aware that there are going to be teams that are really going to focus in on him in the coming weeks. And from a development standpoint, and I think when you think long-term about the Revs, in a way you kind of want Brandon By to be tested to see how well he develops as a defender. Um, you know, we, we kind of talk about, you know, where we expect Brandon By to be next year if he's going to be, you know, I, I think he's going to be the starting right back next year. I think Bradford will see a lot in Brandon By. So, uh, you know, you know, weird kind of sense even though it might be bad in the short term if they test him out i think it's really going to help his growth uh, and really really help his development um as a wing back uh and, and i will say i agree with your assessment i i think he's been fine overall i don't think he's made any real errors or nothing comes to mind that was totally bad um and he, he had a good little run towards the end of the game last night uh i don't remember it was late in the game he kind of wandered into the six yard box and kind of crossed it back and it was kind of bounced around and Andre Blake gathered the ball and they called it out of bounds. He kind of went over the line a little bit, but um, you know, that was a nice little move by him to, to attack in through the box. So uh, I, I see a lot of potential there and I, I, I am a lot more sold on him being a left back uh, compared to last week. So, uh, and, and I want to kind of transition that because last week we were talking about how this team definitely needs to trade for a left back uh, going into the trade deadline Wednesday night and uh, they did not get one. They did not actually acquire any players uh, before the trade deadline Wednesday. Um, and I, I found this quote interesting from Mike Burns. Um, we feel, uh, well, actually, he's talking about the Nemeth trade, which we'll get to in a second. But um, Jonathan Siegel had, had an interview with him. And, and this Burns quote seemed very interesting to me. Uh, we feel this deal will give us enough flexibility to add a player or two. And perhaps not by Wednesday night at midnight, but certainly over the course of the next four, five, six months. We'll continue to work not just through Wednesday night, but since we can sign free agents after that, but it's a 12-month process, we'll continue to evaluate our existing team, what might be available throughout the league up until Wednesday, or free agency up until September 15th. Uh, and this interview came out on Tuesday, I believe, so they're already hinting um, that uh, trade didn't look like it was going to be in the works for, for Wednesday. Um, but it does seem to have a glimmer of hope that they might be looking at bringing in another player or another free agent. Um, did you take away the same thing, Seth? Do you think that maybe the Revolution are still looking to add another player, even though it's not going to be through trade uh, throughout the MLS? Uh, and I guess the second question is, um, do you think with Brandon By and his performance the last two weeks, do you, do you expect that player to be a left back or do you think they might be looking to add someone on the offense? Yeah, I mean, this is tough. I honestly thought that, especially with the Nemeth trade, that we were going to see like a late um, attacking player, actually, more than anything else, come into the team. Um, I thought that you got this resources, you open up an international spot. Uh, one thing that kind of was interesting to me is that Charlie Davies on the Far Post podcast said that he, the team had been talking about bringing in an attacking player. Um, and I never really heard any team official publicly say like they wanted to bring in an attacking player. I mean, it's something that I kind of assumed that they may, might want to bring in a number 10, or I, I thought you'd probably want to get in a right winger um, because the left is so great with Pania, but the right, it's kind of moved around a little bit. Agadello's been there. Um, and he, he has some good moments, but if you can bring in a guy 
that's similar to Pania, now you've really changed the dynamic of the team. And sure, you might not have fixed the, the back line woes, especially at left back, but you can really attack with numbers and be a little bit more dynamic and really create those things. So I, I, you know, I, I thought about the Nemeth trade. I thought about what I heard Charlie Davies say on the Far Post podcast. I really thought that we were going to see kind of some late magic happen at that transfer window. It didn't happen. Uh, and, I mean, obviously, obviously you want something to happen. But if it's not the right piece, do you really want to spend that much money on the wrong piece? And we've seen that this team do that in the past. I mean, last year, the Christian Nemeth thing, when it happened, I was like, this guy doesn't really fit. I mean, this guy doesn't necessarily fit the Revolution's mold. But I think they had to make that move, move because they had such a quiet um, window. You know, the, the, the fans really wanted to see something. So they you see the opportunity to add Nemeth, who's, a, you know, a guy who people know from MLS, a guy who scored in MLS. And they spend a lot of money to bring in a guy, you know, one year later, they're trading. Claudiano was the same thing. He In the same exact transfer window, they're talking about, you know, they need help defensively. And all of a sudden, this guy comes along. They throw a ton of money at him because he's supposed to be that quick fix. Doesn't happen. I mean, the, the Revs don't make the playoffs uh, last year. Now Claudiano isn't even in the 18. I mean, do you really want this team to spend money just because they're desperate? So my hope is that um, this, this flexibility they're talking about, they're planning ahead. And hopefully something comes this year. Um, but you have to think about that they only are signing free agents right now, and there maybe there aren't a lot of options that are out there. Jermaine Jones was a free agent back in the day. You know, he did come in as a free agent, but most people aren't free agents uh, that are quality. I mean, you know, Jeffrey Castiglion, if you remember that guy, uh, he was a free agent back in the day. Uh, my favorite thing about him is that he's, he came in and said that he was going to make MLS better, and then, uh, you know, half a season later, he is gone, and he is still, you know, wandering the abyss of second and third division in Europe and wherever else he's going. Um, so do, do, is there a possibility that someone comes in? Sure. And I think that if someone comes in, I'd like it to be a left back, you know, to bring in a little bit more of competition there. I hope, I kind of hope they don't bring in an attacker because I would feel that it might not be the right fit because they don't have every single option at play right now. They can't sign guys that would require a transfer. They can't trade for guys in MLS. So I don't want them to just throw money at something um, that isn't necessarily the right fit. And, and pull back just one more thing. I don't want to go on too long of a rant here. And I totally understand Reds fans being upset about that. You know, like, hey, this team isn't working right now. They should be bringing people in. But you don't want to handcuff yourself going into Friedel's second season. Okay, Friedel, you know, this year, whether you like it or not, this year was always going to be a transition year. They did a really great job at the beginning of the season and they put themselves in a good spot coming into the transfer window, which for me was was really great because I thought they were going to make a splash and they were going to make a signing and, and it didn't pan out, whether it's because, you know, people said no, whether it's because they didn't scout well enough or they weren't throwing enough money. We have no idea why it didn't work out. Maybe they never even tried. I have no, we have no idea what, what happened behind the scenes here. But now that I kind of look back, if it was a situation where they weren't finding the right piece for the team, I'm okay for them waiting for a little bit as long as they have an active season next year. So uh, is someone going to come in? Who knows? I mean, they still have these options. But I, I want to make sure that it is the right piece. I don't want to bring in a Claude Dielna who's going to take up a lot of money. Or I mean, Kai Kamara was a very similar thing to me. I think that Kai Kamara was just available. And they're like, all right, let's bring this guy in because Chris Tierney can cross. Right. That didn't necessarily – work out it wasn't a good good use of money so find the right guy not necessarily just force something to happen just because you have to ha make something happen and i agree with everything you said and and i said last week i'd rather the revs do nothing than 
bring in, you know, make a big swing and miss like he did last year with Nemeth, where, yes, it's a big name, but, you know, just the salary alone is tying down your team and tying down your flexibility. And the revolution, the crafts are not going to spend $12 million in salary. You know, you're going to get your six to seven million, and that, that's what's going to tie it up. So to, to put, I think it was a million dollars on Kristen Nemeth, um, that's, that's a really big anchor. Um, and we're going to transition to this uh, Namath trade in a second. Uh, I compared it to, uh, I didn't put this on Twitter, but um, offline, I compared it to uh, the Boston Red Sox trade in 2012 when they traded Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and I think uh, Josh Beckett. Uh, and they just sent them all to the Dodgers and got basically nothing in return. But what they got was a lot of salary relief. Um, and I read a lot of that from this trade. Um, in case you did not catch it, uh, the Revolution received 250000 in TAM, 100000 in GAM, and a uh, first-round draft pick for 2020 from Kansas City. Um, Namath closes his career with the Revolution with 21 appearances, a single goal, and three assists. He had, he had some flashes in the pan, but overall, he, he was not what they were expecting. Um, Brad Friedel said it was a move that suited all parties. Um, Mike Burns noticed that uh, when they brought him in, there was a different coaching staff. Uh, and, and I think Friedel also noted that he had an injury early on in the preseason that got him a little bit behind overall. Um, if you compare this to what the Revs gave up to get him, the Revs gave up 200000 in TAM, 200000 in GAM, and an international roster spot for 2017 and 2018. Um, and, and so it might look like uh, 350 in allocation money for 400000 in allocation money. Uh, but the Revs actually, on the conversion, um, it, it's really more like sixty or $70,000 uh, because TAM is not as valuable as GAM. Uh, and also, it should be noted that Sam McDowell of the Kansas City Star reports that uh, more than half of Nemeth's salary for this year will be paid for, by for the Revs, uh, but his contract expires after next season. So it sounds like the Revs aren't on the hook for any of his salary next season. Um, and that kind of goes to your point, which is that they might be looking at this long term. They might be uh, trying to clear up uh, as much as they can salary as much as they can next season. They'll take the hit this year. Uh, they'll also gain some assets and be a little bit more active in this window um, in the winter. Um, reading into Mike Burns uh, quote where he says that certainly over the course of the next four or five, six months, they'll bring in someone that sounds like they're they're going to bring in someone by the end of the year. Um, but he also called it a 12-month process. So um, I'm, I'm with you there that it sounds like overall they're kind of planning more long-term than short-term. They're not putting a lot of emphasis on the 2018 season. Um, but overall, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Christian Nemeth trade. Uh, I just kind of gave back, gave you what, what, what they received, um, 350000 in allocation money uh, between TAM and GAM, most of it TAM, and a super draft pick. Um, what were your thoughts on the trade? Do you think that was a fair return? Uh, and overall, do you think this was a positive for the revolution? Yeah, I mean, I think you're just recouping your losses uh, in the sense that Nemeth wasn't breaking through with the team. He wasn't really doing much. Uh, he came on. My, my big takeaway this year was, you know, him coming on and and he just seemed like he was falling in the box a lot. It was almost like he was asked to go on there to, to try to, you know, draw a foul and draw a PK. Um, which is interesting because I've seen him in practice and the guy can finish. Like the guy is a, a pretty lead finisher when he gets himself in front of the net. Um, and of course, one of the big things that we all remember is last year in his first revolution start, he elbows someone, gets a red card in Spartan KC. Uh, and that's kind of the big, you know, thing that we all remember when we think of Nemeth and his time in a revolution jersey. I think this is a good piece of business. I mean, this is a guy that obviously wasn't necessarily in Brad Fiedel's plans. Um, do you – and this is a Sporting KC team that was probably pretty desperate. I mean this is a team that wanted a forward for a very long time. You know, Like they said they were going to Europe. Obviously things didn't work out. So they were desperate for a number nine and they're looking around the league and saying, okay, here's a guy that we're familiar with. 
what can you, uh, what do we have to give you, Revs, in order to get him? And I'm, I'm guessing if you look around the league, Nemeth didn't have a lot of trade value. A lot of teams weren't looking at this guy who was basically sitting on the bench most games and saying, oh, we want to spend a lot of money on this guy. So the Revs actually end up getting a pretty decent haul for a guy they probably weren't going to use. Um, and also it frees up an international spot, which could be used this year or next year. Next year they do get back their international spot from Columbus, so they'll have two plus whatever else happens uh, in that trade window. Uh, whether you know, they, they wave guys, get rid of guys, trade guys, whatever it might be. So there's a lot of flexibility that is there. I know that Revolution fans don't want to hear that word. We've heard that word over and over again, roster flexibility, um, the, the ability to make moves, and things don't always work out. Um, but, I mean, it is a reality. I mean, that you need to have resources. Before this Nemeth trade, they couldn't bring in an international. That's the long and the short of it. So this does give them the opportunity to kind of make things happen. So I think it makes sense for everyone around. I, I really wish they would have brought someone in, another attacker in, especially earlier we talked about the bench. Who are your attackers off the bench? If you get rid of Nemeth, who's going to be that spark that's going to come off the bench? You don't really have anyone besides Roe at this point that's going to do that. So it does you know, hurt them a little bit that way. But if we're being honest with ourselves – uh, he wasn't a guy that wasn't get, was getting a lot of so he wasn't getting a lot of minutes. So therefore, why not move him on and get some resources for him? And I absolutely agree with everything you said. The only real criticism I'd say about the Ravs, and it's no surprise to anyone who listens to us consistently, is that um, I, I have to imagine there was a left back out there for cheap. I know a few left backs moved throughout the transfer window. I think DC United got a left back, Portland got a left back, um, Seattle made Waylon Francis available at the last minute. Um, he was acquired for $50,000 in allocation money. So a, a little disappointing overall to see the revolution not get anyone. But I do think that this trade is a positive, like you said. And I do think they are um, gaining some assets for that roster flexibility, uh, like you <laughs> said. So o- overall, I mean, if I had to give the revolution a grade, I- I'd probably give it a C plus B minus where, you know, you-, you wanted to see more and you wanted to improve the team in the short term. Um, but it it clearly is that their their focus is on the long term and bringing in some new players uh, next season. Yeah, I wish I could disagree with you because I feel like we're uh, agreeing a lot, but I was totally thinking that same thing, that we're looking at like a C-plus because uh, Mancian could end up being a really good center back that helps solve a lot of problems. And if that happens, then then the Revs might be okay. I mean, if we start to see that this back line can hold up and you know make sure they're not bleeding goals and they're winning headers and all these types of good things, then this team, you know, we know they have the attacking talent. It's the back end that's kind of hurting them. And to not bring in a guy like Waylon Francis, just to have a look, you know, to, 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 to bring more competition in is kind of disappointing. Um, but we'll have to see. You know what? Machado could end up taking over Zahibo's spot. And uh, Mancian is someone who I definitely expect to slot in the back line. So C-plus around that area sounds good to me. And I want to get, we, ha- we do have a, a Twitter question on Mancian. And I want to defer to you since you got the scouting report on him this week. You had a really good piece uh, on the bunt basket. Um, but Josh Goulet asks us, is uh, Mancian the answers to our defensive prayers? Uh as I say, you got the scouting report. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing is that he's a guy who can play with a ball uh, at his feet. You know, so if you're trying to play out of pressure a little bit, uh, that's a really positive thing. Um, he can find the next play. That's good. The other thing is he has some pace. So with that high line, obviously, there are times we have to do a little bit of emergency defending and get back and make a tackle. Again, another positive thing. Um, there are some leadership qualities there. It was interesting because he's obviously been a captain at Nottingham Forest. Um, but he's not necessarily, according to the report that I got, he's not necessarily the 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 guy who takes over as the leader. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how he kind of balances that, that that out and how he fulfills that role with the revolution. He himself has said that he is expected to fulfill that role, according to Friedel, when he comes over to the United States. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how he does in that new league. Is he the answer? 
I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen him play a lot. Um, he seems like he has the pedigree. I mean, 30 years old is a decent age. I mean, he has some years in front of him. He's not over the hill. I mean, you look at uh, Montreal and they sign a, a, a huge name. You know, it's been around for a long time, but he's 35-year-old defender. I'd rather have maybe Mancian, who has this potential, than over a guy who might, you know, break down in turf and have an injury along the way. So, I mean, I'm excited to see him play. I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to... I mean, we all open up YouTube and we love watching the clips with the techno music and all that good stuff. Uh, but is it really fair to judge a player like that? No, not necessarily. So we'll see what happens when he comes into the lineup. Yeah, and I agree. It's it's a little too early to judge. Uh, I used I, I looked up his uh, I went through the super sophisticated uh, scouting methods of looking up his FIFA rating, uh, and he's mm-hmm. a 72. So you know, it, it's a seems like an upgrade compared to. Uh, Claude Dielna and and Jaleel Anibaba. And as you say, he's been a captain. It'll be interesting to see how much of a leadership role he takes because this is a fairly young back line with Anibaba and uh, Brandon Bai. Uh, Andrew Farrell has been there a long time, but also Matt Turner back there with communication issues. Um, it seems like they need someone to organize the back line. So it, it will be interesting to see. I, I think it's either going to be a great, great um, acquisition who, who kind of comes in and, um, you know, really gets that back line into shape uh, or it, it isn't. You know, so uh, but certainly his, his playing experience is promising. He's played in the Bundesliga. He's played in the championship for a long time. Um, I, I can't imagine he's going to be poor uh, just compared to a competition level uh, overall. Uh, one more uh, transfer question. We got this from uh, any revs UK uh, and he, he actually was talking about the uh, lack of finishing we've had in the past couple of weeks. We talked about that earlier um, about how just shots were not on target yesterday. Uh, he asked, is it worth trying right and or Femi up top uh, alongside Juan Agadello? Um, I guess we can say also alongside Teal Bunbury. Um, so w- what do you think of that? Do you think maybe it's time to shake up the lineup and put right or Femi up there? Uh, it's hard for me to say. I, I mean, I think that the offense is doing pretty well. I mean, we, we're seeing them score goals, maybe not always on the run of play, which is actually pretty concerning. Like you mentioned earlier, we saw like a set piece goal. We saw a deflected goal. Um, but I don't know if, if Femi or, or if Wright are the, the, the answers there. They bring a lot of energy. They're probably high-pressed throughout the game. Um, but these are guys that aren't goal scorers in their, their years in MLS. Uh, I think that really what you need is you need a, a number 10 that can kind of break things down a little bit better. You know, you know, when a team sits back a little bit more, you move. You should be moving the ball really quickly, try to find a gap, and then trying to get in behind and, you know, Daniel Fabunas has done a really good job of being that number 10 in transition. And what I mean by that is that they win the ball, they find him, he quickly distributes to a guy like Pania who can go to goal and score. So it's not a lot of, like, dribbling and, and then finding the next pass or finding that beautiful through ball. It's that really kind of transition play. So you're, you're missing really, I think it's more, you know, that midfielder, that guy in the middle who can make plays happen and, and beat a guy, then open up space and find someone to to then go in on goal. Uh, so I don't really see uh, Wright or, or Femi being the guys that are going to come in. Um, you maybe see a formation change. We saw a five-man back line earlier this year. Maybe it's worth trying again. You know, Maybe you get Mancian in there and you try a five-man back line. Um, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the upcoming weeks. Uh, Brad Friedel did talk about it after the game. They asked about shaking it up, you know, lineup changes, strategy changes. He said, we're, we're always doing that. We're always talking about how can we change things. Even if it doesn't look like a formation change, they talk, you know, players individually and say, we want you to do this now. We want you to do this. And they change things up week to week. Um, so it'd be interesting to see going forward. But to me, Wright and, and Femi, they're good as like energy off the bench late in the game, but I can't see them being 
you know, guys who play 60, 70, 90 minutes and really make that huge impact. Yeah, and I agree. I think the big issue for me is who's coming off. Uh, you know, I'd be more than okay having Brian Wright get some minutes. I'm, I'm kind of curious to what he's, he, he can do. Uh, and we've seen him come off the bench in five, ten-minute spurts. Um, this is where not having a deep run in the U.S. Open Cup kind of um, is your downfall, where you don't get to see the quality of your bench. We only got one look at them, and they, they didn't seem like a great look. Um, they weren't able to hold possession against Louisville, and, you know, Brian Wright played in that game, but we didn't really see a lot of Brian Wright. So, um, I'd be okay with getting Brian Wright, maybe a spot start. Maybe if they fall out of playoff contention, maybe you put him up there over um, Teal Bunbury, or maybe you do mix around the formation, see what they can do and, and get him some minutes and get him a, a couple chances. Um, but overall, I, I wouldn't mess with things right now because um, the, the offense seems to be clicking. Really the only player that I think kind of looks a little bit awkward is Juan Agadello on that right wing, um, which isn't his natural position. But yeah, I, I agree with everything he said. Um, the other thing any Revs UK noted was uh, he, he mentioned that Sean Okoli former Revolution player. He was with the team in 2015. Um, he's actually available. He doesn't have a team right now. Um, and th the significance there is that he played with FC Cincinnati in 2016 and won the USL Golden Boot. I think he had uh, somewhere in the 20s in, in terms of goals. Um, after that, he went to NYCFC last season. Uh, he made about 16 appearances. He's, I think he scored one goal. That was his only MLS goal, um, despite three or four seasons coming off the bench for the Revs, NYC, and Seattle. Um, he asked if that would be a potential fit. Um, I, I think that would be probably an upgrade over right uh, compared to what he did in the USL. But overall, I think you have the same problem, which is where do you fit him in? It certainly would be a low risk, and I'm not you know, totally opposed to bringing him in, but I don't see a place for him on this team. Uh, do you agree with that, Seth? Yeah, you don't bring him in. Like you said, if you're going to get rid of Femi, you're going to get rid of Wright, which you really can't at this point because of contracts, I'm assuming. Um, then there's no really point in bringing in Sean Acoli. He does a really good job with FC Cincinnati uh, in that one season, like you mentioned, but he really hasn't shown much at the MLS level. Uh, so to me, you, you, you don't really bring him in. The, the big thing, and you hit it right on the, the nail on the head there, is that you know, the Juan Agadello right mid spot, that's your, your spot that you potentially want to bring someone in. You know, uh, whether it's you bring in a right winger or you bring in an attacking number 10 and move um, Diego Fugunas to that right position because Agadello's done okay. I mean, obviously gets a goal last week, but he's a guy who, who you know, sometimes fades in and out of games. He's not great defensively. Um, and we've seen that in the last two weeks that he's not necessarily the best player defensively. So to me, that's the spot that you're potentially trying to to fill and, and to try to make the team a little bit better. I mean, Teal Bunbury has done fine up top. Um, you know, he, he works hard. Last week he comes off the bench and does that really great move and scores a goal. Um, so I think that if, if anything, you're looking at that right mid spot and trying to shuffle things around. And I don't think Sean Acoli would be a guy who, who plays there. I actually think, I mean, he's certainly talented. I don't mean to say that. And I'm not even going to say that he couldn't crack the 18 with the revolution, but um, you know, I think that'd be an amazing acquisition for the Hartford USL side next season. I'd love to see him go back and, you know, try to dominate the USL again. But, you know, overall, is he cracking the MLS starting lineup? Uh, if, if he does, that might be a bad thing. And, you know, I think a few players would have to leave. I know, I think Juan Agudelo was reported his contracts up at the end of the year. Teal Bunbury might have to be gone on the team. I think I'd much rather trust Teal uh, over Sean Acoli. So um, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, three more Twitter questions that I'm going to kind of combine into one. Um, and the revolution did lose. So with that come question about the front office. Um, uh, 
DC uh, Den at Den Dun Twenty Nine says, uh, "Should Brian Biello, the president, be on the hot seat? Uh, and would you bring in Ali Curtis? Ali Curtis being the, um, I think his, his position was technical director of the New York Red Bulls, I believe, from 2014 to 2016, 2017, um, when they had their kind of glory days and they were battling the Revolution in the Eastern Conference playoffs." Um, Joe asks us, uh, "Love Brad, but this has to show that Burns is the problem." Heaps was good with good players and bad with bad players. There are bigger fish to fry here than the manager. Uh, and then Zachary Grimes tweets us, uh, time to get out the signs, which I imagine means kind of an uprising, uh, kind of a you know protest to uh, throw the hierarchy, the uh, front office. Um, I know these questions come with every single loss, and there certainly has been a lot of frustration with the front office um, really after every loss because they don't seem to spend money. There's another... Uh, uh, trade window where the revolution didn't bring in, which we touched upon. Um, Seth, I, I know it kind of seems like we're outsiders looking in, but um, do you think this front office is on the hot seat? I know last year Jay Heap certainly was on the hot seat. I think a lot of people felt Mike Burns was on the hot seat. Um, you know, Brad Friedel, I think certainly is safe this being his first year. And as we mentioned, you know, he needs to bring in his new players. He's kind of clearing up the mess, but do you think that uh, the front office is on the hot seat? And do you think that would really change anything? Yeah, I, I think about, uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about Ben Olsen and they've asked him like, you know, straight to his face, like, is your job on the line? You know, they talked about this year after year and he says, you know what? My job should always be on the line. Like everyone should be analyzing me and thinking about if there's better options out there and, and you know, what could happen if they fire me? Who could they bring in next? I think that's kind of the mentality in sports that should be out there. Um, it, it's hard for me to answer this question in the sense that I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, who brought in uh, – Gabriel Somi, you know, who scouted him, who signed the contract, who brought in, you know, whoever. We, we don't know. I mean, Pania has been a huge win. You know, if, if that's if that's a Mike Burns signing, then kudos to him, you know. So it's hard to know who's making what decisions at what level. Um, and that's what makes it hard to judge what's going on behind the scenes and, and who should stay and who should go. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's difficult to say. Is there problems right now? Yes, absolutely. You know, like this team – should have done more during this transfer window overall. Like they should have brought a left back. They probably should have brought another attacking player. Um, but they didn't do that. So whose fault is that? You know, is that Burns's fault? Is that the scouting department's fault? Is this about, you know, looking for the long-term solution? It's hard for me to kind of, you know, judge someone when I don't know what the game plan is behind the, 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 the doors. So I know that's kind of a, a lame answer to give. Um, but I don't know. I don't feel comfortable, you know, judging someone when I don't fully know what what role they're doing currently with the team. And I'll touch upon that too, which is that I think Sean and I have kind of speculated. It looks like Brad Friedel's fingerprints are more on these transfers than uh, uh, Jay Heaps's fingerprints were on uh, other trades and other transfers. It seems like Brad Friedel is using his network uh, to bring in some new players and he's bringing in his guys. I, I think he's a little bit more active on the tra transactions we've been seeing this past year. Um, whereas in the past couple of years, I, I think Mike Burns has been a little more upfront. He seems to be the uh, head point in terms of um, dealing with the other GMs and bringing in players, at least from what we hear kind of uh, trickling down. Uh, you know, it, it's very hard to speculate who's to blame for certain issues, because as you said, we don't know who's working behind the scenes, whose connections these are, you know, it was Pania, Mike Burns or uh, Brad Friedel. They're all, all very good points and it's tough to say, but um you know, as I say, I'm, I'm willing to give this front office a little bit more time, kind of because of what we talked about earlier, which is that Bradfield's coming in. They're kind of clearing the mess this season. And I, I want to see what they do in the winter uh, transfer windows. And I, you know, I expect another Pania. I expect another, you know, great player to come in and contribute right away. Uh, because if we can get another one of those teams, the Revolution are going to be a very dangerous team in 2019, in my opinion. So, uh, and 
I think that's just going to come with time and patience. And I know a lot of fans don't want to hear that, but you know, I, I guess I'm just playing the optimist. So <laughs> yeah. And let me say this, like there's nothing wrong with fans being upset. I have no problem with fans saying that they, that they want certain, you know, players out that they want the front office out. I mean, we've seen that this, this team has been uh, stagnant, you know, like this team has not hit the levels of an Atlanta or a Seattle. And as a fan of a team, you should want that. You should be demanding that. And I, I'm concerned a little bit that we won't see that until we get a stadium. Yep. You know, that until there is a stadium in downtown Boston, you're not going to see the same levels of, of players coming in or advertising or whatever it might be uh, that the revolution are going to do. So that, that's, I mean, that's frustrating to hear because you're paying good money to go out there to, to watch this team. You're giving up your time to, to make the drive down to Foxborough. And, and don't get me wrong, there's good things that this club is are doing. But if you're upset, go for it. I mean, I have no problem with you you know, going after the front office and uh, going after certain players and, and whatever, you know, criticizing them or whatever it might be. Um, but me personally, I, it's hard for me to say, okay, Burns has to go right now because I don't know like 100% what is, his fingerprints are on. You know, I mean, I, I look at some things and I say, okay, the Revs have made some good trades in the past. I've made, you know, some good dealings in the past. So is who, who did that? Who made that moment happen, you know? Um, and then we also look at things and say they've done some bad things. Okay, then who do we place that on? Um, so I do think that, that probably that, that job should be on the line, but that's not my decision to be made. I mean, that's obviously, you know, the, the supervisors to look at and say, okay, this, this front office isn't working, so we have to make change for the betterment of this team. And they're going to have a better idea of if those changes will come than me, a guy who's kind of, you know, watching the team from afar. I, I can break down plays a little bit more that I can like look at these the front office and say they're doing this or doing that. So I'm not here trying to be a fanboy of the front office. I'm not here trying to say that you shouldn't criticize people. I'm here to say that I'm not really sure who's doing what, so I can't really fully judge them correctly. And it's very frustrating, too, that every single summer we go through this. And you're right, they're stagnant. It's almost predictable at this point. The Revolution are going to show some promise in the beginning of the season flatten out kind of go through this losing streak and just miss it, it feels like they're just going to miss out on the playoffs again it's it's really going to rip our hair out but um the, I, I will say we talked about this a little bit last week because someone sent us the records from the past four years and they're all pretty even across the board um but you it feels like the revolution are making strides and they're bringing in some young players who can contribute year after year so i, I think it's just gotta be a little bit more patience but you're absolutely right i, I don't know if you can kick out Burns or, or anything like that. Really, the only the thing that I think goes against Burns the most is that you hear all these rumors from teams and agents that say, you know, he's really difficult to work with, and that might be a detriment to your team. That's the only real thing that I can definitively say is a negative. Other than that, you know, we, we don't know how much Brian Bielo or uh, Mike Burns has on the transfers we've seen so far this season. You're absolutely correct. But but even with that quote, because you're kind of referencing the Seattle Sounders in the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, um, what – Garth Logaway, is that the yep. guy who said it? And, and yeah, then, well, also, it. also there was another agent too. I his name slips in my mind. Sean would know it off the top of the head, and he would bail me out. But there oh, is uh, Ron agent. Waxman. Who? Ron Waxman. Yes, yes, Ron yeah. Waxman. It, and I, I've talked to agents before, and they're like, "Yeah, this it's, it's very hard to talk to this this front office and to make deals happen." But again, like that's a that's one person's perspective. I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to defend Mike Burns. I just don't know the full story of what's going on. I mean, if, if you think about like the Nemeth trade, maybe uh, maybe like they want, maybe Sporting KC wanted Nemeth earlier and they're like, all right, we'll give you 200,000 in, in Gam and Tam. And Mike Burns like, nope, sorry, not going to happen. And it goes on and on and on and on. And eventually you end up with 350,000 of Gam and Tam. You know, like that, like obviously uh, 
Sporting KC is going to sit down and say, man, this guy is so hard to work with because he's trying to to really negotiate and try to get the most for his team. So again, I I, I don't know. I mean, I know that he's done some some things that are are tough. I mean, you look at like the Lee Win situation and you know him wanting to be traded and it going on and on and on and then becoming a big saga where he doesn't even show up to to training camp. I mean, that that's something that goes on the front office and says that's not a good thing. I mean, you want your players to be happy and you want your players to be there. At the same time, you can also look at that situation and say, listen, man, you signed this contract. You're supposed to show up. That's what you're supposed to do. It's not my fault that you're unhappy with your contract. So him being a tough negotiator can be a positive thing because you're getting more resources and you're getting, you know, whatever it might be. Or it could be a negative thing because people don't want to come to New England. I just don't know the full story, you know. So, again, I'm happy for people to to criticize. Um, and kind of go after people in front office and, and, you know, you can have your wanger outsides and burns outsides or whatever else you want to do at the games. But I just don't fully know the story. So it's hard for me to say, yes, he definitely should go or definitely stay. I got one more question for you, Seth, before we wrap it up. Just a real simple yes, no question right now in this moment in time. Do you think the New England Revolution make the playoffs? All right. So beginning of the season, I said, nope, because Friedel needed to, uh, you know, become a coach. You know, obviously he's coached in the past, but this is different. He's coming into MLS. He's, you know, going to start to go through some growing pains, experience some different things. So I said, no way. Then I saw Pania. I was like, this guy's a genius. They're going to make the playoffs basically based on him. And you saw in the second half, a reason why they were so good is because Pania started to have, you know, space. He started to open things up. He started to challenge people. And that's going to create a lot more gaps and openings for the team that they're facing. So I'm like, all right, they're going to make the playoffs because of Pania. And I'm, that really had to do also with the transfer window. I thought they were going to do something bigger in the transfer window. Um, the last few weeks, I wrote an article where I said that teams that make the playoffs don't have results like this. Mm. You know, you don't end up uh, tying a game 3-3. You don't end up losing at home 3-2 on a handball. Like, those things don't happen. So, as you can see, I've been all over the place. I'm going to say right now they're not going to make the playoffs because um, you know you, you can't lose six points to Philadelphia Union, one of the guys that you're going against, um, and make the playoffs. Um, so you have to have better results than that. Is Mancian going to be the answer? I don't know. We hope so. But right now I don't see them making the playoffs. I, I, I wanted to disagree with you. I thought we were going to get a disagreement, Seth. But I, I, I agree. I don't think this is a playoff team right now. They've totally hit a, uh, to- totally hit a rough patch and – they're going into D.C. United and then Philadelphia back-to-back. I think you really need at least four points from those games. It'd be great if you could take that, uh, that game in Philadelphia and get three out of a possible nine points against Philadelphia. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, though, do you have any shout-outs for this week, Seth? Uh, your first ever shout-out on Revolution Recap. You, you have anything that comes to mind? Uh, I'll shout-out uh, Carl Sutherland. I think I gave him a, uh, a shout-out on Twitter last night. Uh, there was not a lot of people in the press box last night. Um, there was, you know, obviously some hardworking people that were there, the, the regulars that you can imagine, Julian and Cardillo and, and Frank DeLapa and Sean Sweeney and, you know, a lot of people that you're familiar with. Uh, but Carl and I ended up interviewing a lot of the same people last night, and uh, he, he, he asked some really thought-provoking questions. And, and between the two of us, we were able to, to get a lot of, I think, pretty decent quotes that I wrote up for the Bennett Musket. So kudos to him for, for you know, asking some good questions and, and, you know, helping lead to some really great quotes last night. And I'll, I'll add to that that Carl is a must-follow on Twitter. Uh, he's a great guy and uh, really enjoy his commentary during Revs games. Um, I, I, and actually, really, too, every, everyone that is on the beat should uh, you know, get a tip of the cap. A lot of you guys are doing that in your spare time. 
Uh, I don't mean to kind of toot our own our own horns too much, but uh, Frank DeLapa, uh, Youssef, uh, Sean Sweeney's done a great job, uh, you know, joining the Revolution Beat this year. Uh, Julian Cardillo, who we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, uh, you, you guys all do a great job, uh, and it, that's really really appreciated because I, I feel like the Revolution are overall not very well covered uh, in New England. So uh, tip of the cap to you guys. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to Tom Sohn, who uh, looks like he's following Jay Heaps down to the USL team in Birmingham. Uh, there are some reports that come out that he's going to be the head coach when they start playing next season. Uh, I don't think those were confirmed, and there's been no announcement yet. Uh, so this this might be a retracted shout-out in the future. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, I'll be rooting for Birmingham uh, and the, those kind of revolution connections uh, start next season. Uh, so, so my favorite thing, um, we, we kind of put a story up on the Ben Muskie about that. Uh, so we were trying to find some sort of confirmation. We reached out to the club. The club didn't confirm it. Um, but my... My favorite thing is that if you go online, uh, Tommy Stone is online. He is on Twitter. He is following 15 people. Of course, Jay Heaps is one of them. Uh, and he recently followed Birmingham Legion. So you imagine that that's probably going to happen. He's going to end up at the club in some capacity because basically most of the people that he's following are uh, relatives. And then you have Taylor Twelman, Antonio Delamea, Jay Heaps. Um, so my guess is that if he followed the Legion, he is going to end up down there. So good for him. That's a great opportunity for him to, to reunite with Jay Heaps and to, to get back in the coaching game. Uh, and that's some great Twitter research by you. That's a, that's a good sign, positive sign. Uh, Seth, uh, where can our good listeners uh, follow your work? Uh, you want to give your Twitter handle? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is Seth, S-E-T-H, man, M-A-N, 31. And you can find me on thebentmusket.com, uh, trying to give you guys some, some coverage uh, week to week. I've been writing quite a bit, but you know, as the week go on, I'll probably be a little bit more quiet, but you can always find me on Twitter. Feel free to, to you know, uh, get at me with any, any of your takes and we can kind of banter back and forth and have a little bit of a conversation. And you can follow our podcast at Revolution Recap. We also have a Facebook page, which is pretty inactive. Uh, actually, just a quick update on that. Sean and I were talking. We think we're going to do a weekly poll question. So it's not totally just an inactive Facebook page. So you do want to add, like us on Facebook. You do want to follow us there. Um, you can follow me personally at gjohnstone12. I will admit right off the bat, most of the times I tweet about soccer, it is at the at Revolution Recap uh, handle. Uh, if you're going to follow me uh, on my personal account, I'm going to talk about baseball. Just a fair warning to you guys in case you follow me and are wondering where all the soccer talk is. Um, but overall, thank you so much, Seth, for joining us today. It's really great to have you on the podcast. We'll have to do it again soon. Uh, really excited that you, you got your debut under the belt. Um, and uh, thank you very much for everyone listening at home. We really appreciate your support. Uh, not sure if we're going to have an episode next week. Sean and I actually are going on a bachelor party, so we're not sure if we're going to have the time Sunday night to get a podcast under the belt, but we're going to do our best. Um, so until next week or the next week, uh, thanks for listening. Take care.